morning. You guys can sit down. Um, it's great to see you all here this morning. I know the semester is starting to feel a little long, um, but I am so thankful for the way that you are all working hard to be vigilant and to be considerate of others. Hang in there. I am and will continue to pray for you. Um, pray for us, actually, as we finish this semester. I pray that we finish it well and faithfully. Um, there are a few visitors here this morning. Let me just introduce myself. I'm Stephanie Fermenti, and I get to serve as the Chapel Associate for Discipleship in the Chapel Department, and I'm really glad to see you here. So my question for us this morning is this. Can we see Jesus? Can we see Jesus being Jesus in the circumstances of life? bringing purpose to things, meaning to things, making a difference. Can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus being Lord, Messiah, and friend in your life? I mean truly, clearly see. Our kids like to practice different expressions that they pick up here and there. And lately I've heard, sure thing, I'm on it. No problema. <laughs> Llama, actually, is what they say. We all use these things without thinking too much about them, but one caught my attention the other day. I was trying to explain something to my youngest son, and his response was, I see, Mama. Just like that. It wasn't that he couldn't actually see. He meant that he was finally grasping something. He was understanding things. He was putting pieces together. This is the kind of sight I'm talking about this morning. And to help us with this question, we are going to spend some time in the Gospels, but specifically in Luke chapter 24. This happens to be one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's a wonderful story, and it's actually one of the longest ones that Luke records for us. It is a story about seeing. So let's look into it, but first let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to stop and listen. Thank you for your word. Please, Lord, give us ears to, ear, ears to hear and hearts to listen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 24 with me, and I'll set the stage for a second. Luke 24 is a story about two disciples who have just spent some time in Jerusalem. Some scholars believe that the two people are actually a man named Cleopas and his wife. I like that idea. Most likely, the couple has come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but it was a Passover unlike any other. Three days before, they watched Jesus die. They watched him be mocked, beaten, and then hung on a cross. They witnessed his last breath and his burial. They experienced the way that creation itself mourned with earthquakes and darkness in the middle of the day. Now, as readers, we know that Jesus is alive at this point in the story. We have insight that the characters in the story don't actually have. The chapter begins with an angel appearing to Mary, Joanna, and the other Mary. The angel tells them, tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead, and they rush back to tell the disciples. He is alive. But this couple, these disciples, they don't know that yet. And so the story picks up in verse 13. Let's read together. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And jump down to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. Luke tells us that on Easter morning, the very day that Jesus rose from the dead, the couple was traveling about seven miles outside of Jerusalem to a village named Emmaus. They were walking and talking, trying to reprocess all that had happened over the weekend. We can imagine them weeping as they remembered Jesus on the cross. Maybe they felt angry at the injustice of his death. Maybe they talked about their memories of Jesus healing and laughing with children. We aren't given the details of the conversation, but Luke does tell us that they are deep in conversation, so deep that when the resurrected Jesus suddenly appears next to them, they don't even see him. It almost seems like they didn't notice him until he spoke. And then the text gives, this, gives the reader an interesting insight in verse 16. It says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. When I read this, I am struck with the way that it's worded. It would be different if it said that they didn't recognize him. But this implies that they were actually prevented from recognizing Jesus by something outside of themselves. What was hindering their ability to see Jesus? This isn't the only place this kind of thing happens. In fact, the narrative in Luke is one of three similar stories in the Gospels. Stories where Jesus appears and isn't recognized when his disciples don't see him. In John chapter 20, we have the story of Mary Magdalene. She goes to the tomb early in the morning, only to find that the stone is rolled away. And she's frantic, panicked, looking for Jesus's body. And in the middle of her panic, Jesus appears to her, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And then in the next chapter, in John chapter 21, Peter and John are fishing. They are resuming normal duties and responsibilities, probably trying to adjust to day-to-day -day life after three years of following Jesus. Casually, Jesus walks up to them, but they do not know that it is him. As readers, we kind of shake our heads because Jesus has already actually appeared to them once before. The first appearance was when he literally walked through a wall somehow and appeared to them in a locked room. They have already seen his post-resurrection body, they have even touched it. But here he is again for the second time, and they don't recognize him. Why? 
What is preventing the couple on the road, Mary and Peter and John, from seeing or recognizing Jesus when he stands plain as day in front of them? Honestly, I think there is a bit of mystery here. There is likely some large and divine reason for why their eyes were kept from seeing. And we may not know that reason actually with certainty, but it is worth looking at stories like this to gain insight. And when we do, we notice a couple of things. First, Mary was profoundly sad. Never before had she experienced such deep and pure love and such deep and profound loss. Jesus had welcomed her, forgiven her, and loved her in an incredibly transformative way. But then he died. He could have stopped it, she believed that, but he didn't. He died. She was sad and she was probably angry. Maybe she was afraid, lost, unhinged. She couldn't see through her grief. The darkness of what had taken place a few days before was too much. She couldn't see a way out. Her loss was preventing her from seeing Jesus. Second, Peter and John were fishing when Jesus appeared. They were no doubt devastated about all that had happened. They probably felt the same way that Mary did. But their response was to get back to work, make a living, make a plan. They had bills to pay and a job to do. Perhaps they thought that if they just stayed busy, they would start to make sense of it all. The text almost gives the impression that they didn't even look up from their nets when Jesus stood next to them. They couldn't see Jesus because they were busy. Third is Cleopas and his wife on the road. They were also sad and confused. Verse 17 tells us that maybe they were headed home because they didn't know what else to do. And they were disappointed to the core. Look in verse 21. It articulates these unmet expectations. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had put all of their eggs in the Jesus basket, but it didn't work out. They expected Jesus to free them from Roman oppression. They had hoped that Israel be liberated once and for all from pagan domination so that they could worship God in peace and holiness. They thought that Jesus would free them from suffering. But all of those hopes came crashing down when Jesus died. And so here they were talking, discussing, verbally processing. They were trying to make sense of it all, trying to come up with reasons for why they had gotten it so wrong. And Jesus appears in the middle of their reasoning. He walks with them as they try to process, but they could not see him. They couldn't see him through their own disappointment and unmet expectations. And maybe they couldn't see him because they were talking too much. If we pause for a second and ask ourselves the question I asked at the beginning, we may easily find ourselves in one of these narratives. Can I see? Do I see Jesus? If not, why not? What hinders us from seeing? Perhaps like Mary, your story has been one of com compounded loss. Maybe the sorrows of living in a broken world are crushing you. And as you read the news, and talk to friends who are struggling with very real suffering, the darkness seems to be winning. When you look into your own story, you see loss and grief, sin and brokenness. Perhaps you just feel really sad, 
on the verge of tears or panicked, alone, and you can't see Jesus in it all. Or maybe like Peter and John, when life hands you lemons, you are determined to make lemonade. So maybe your go-to solution is just to get busy, to make a plan, to reevaluate. Just do what needs to be done. I personally struggle with this one. When things happen that don't make sense, or when sin or death or loss affect me or hit me straight in the face, my response is to cry for a bit and then get busy. Move on. But often in this response, I realize that I am walking blind. I cannot see Jesus in my busyness. Or you might better imagine yourself on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his wife. You can imagine the deep disappointment that they feel because you too had expectations of what it would mean to follow Jesus and they have not been met. You too thought that Jesus would mean less suffering or more freedom or that you would feel less anxious or less lonely. But Jesus didn't pull through for you and so you are here trying to figure it out, to make sense of things that don't make sense, to reason and to converse. And so you don't see Jesus through your disappointment or your endless striving to understand. In reality, we all have probably found ourselves in all three of these narratives. If we haven't already, we will. (laughs) Sadness, disappointment, confusion, and anger are normal and often appropriate emotions to living in a fallen and broken world. To grieve, stay busy, and try to figure it out are also expected and sometimes reasonable responses to these emotions. But it is easy to miss Jesus in all of that. It is easy to think that we are seen when really we need new sight. But here's what so, here is what is so encouraging about all of these narratives. Jesus is there. These stories are about the power of the presence of Jesus, whether or not he is recognized. Just because his friends don't recognize him doesn't mean he's not there. He is present, near, involved, and real. He is there in all of his resurrected glory and power, standing before them, ready to help them see. And the way this happens is really beautiful. With Mary, he simply says her name and she gains new sight. He doesn't dismiss her tears or her panicked anxiety. Instead, he steps in with comfort, familiarity, and gentleness. No one else said her name that way because no one else knew her the way that Jesus did. Mary sees Jesus when he invites her into relationship. She sees clearly when she remembers how she is deeply known by Jesus. For Peter and John, the interaction is a little different. The story tells us that they had been fishing to no avail for many hours, and then Jesus walks up, and he asks them if they have caught any fish, and they reply with frustration that they haven't. And so Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. They do, and they start catching a multitude of fish. When this happens, Peter sees clearly and accurately. Maybe he has flashbacks of when Jesus calmed the storm, or when he fed 5,000 people from some fish and loaves, or when this exact scenario played out previously with them. When Jesus displays his kingship over even the fish of the sea, Peter sees him. Even though Jesus was there all along, Peter sees clearly when Jesus steps in and provides, when he demonstrates who he is. 
For our friends on the road to Emmaus, their sight was restored through a beautiful intertwining of two things. The process begins when Jesus inquires about what they are discussing. In verse 17, he says, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then Cleopas pours his heart out to Jesus. He recognizes how disastrous it is that Jesus, a man who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, would be condemned to death by a religious leader and then killed like a criminal. He continues by naming his disappointment about, around the idea of Israel's redemption and then faintly remembers something important about the third day. Then he brings up the strange rumors from earlier that morning. In verse 22, it says, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. And yet, here he is walking with them, talking with them. The resurrected Son of God, it's almost comical in its irony. They so badly long to see the one that is right in front of them. They see, but they don't see. So what does Jesus begin to do? Verse 27 tells us, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, Surprise, it's me. He doesn't even alleviate their suffering by confirming the rumors about the resurrection. He just walks along with them in their sadness. He doesn't fix the scenario or take away the pain. But what he does do is offer glasses that they need. He teaches them the word of God. When Jesus comes back, this is the first thing I'm going to ask him about. <laughs> I want a redo of this Bible lesson. I want to hear Jesus teach about how the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system and the judges and the kings, how they all point to him. Picture that. Imagine hearing Jesus explain scripture to you. Imagine hearing Jesus talk about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love, about his patience and forbearance, about God's plan to rescue his people since the moment sin entered the world. And yet, even after this incredible in-depth Bible study, Cleopas and his companions still, still fail to see who it is talking to them. So a few miles later, they draw near to Emmaus and the couple invites Jesus to stay with them. Even in their grief, they're showing hospitality. We aren't given the details. Is it in their house? Are there people there waiting to greet them? Do they have to unpack and settle in for a little while? We're not told. Luke just zooms straight ahead to a meal. And there they are sitting together. And then Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. If we pause for a second, and think, we realize we've heard much of this before. Took the bread and blessed it. That's what happened only a few nights before when Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. When Jesus made the breaking of bread a central symbolic action of his people. They were to break the bread in remembrance of him and in so doing they were seeing Jesus for who he truly was. Who he truly is. The bread of life as a sacrificial lamb. 
This act of corporate remembering helps us to see. But another expression echoes, and their eyes were opened. It too was originally connected to a meal. Think back to Genesis. Adam and Eve ate fruit from the only tree God prohibited them from eating. And what happened? Their eyes were opened. However, the very first meal recorded in scripture led not to sight, but to blindness, spiritual blindness through sin and death. But here, through another meal, through the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened to life. This meal led to true sight. This meal allowed them to see Jesus, to really truly see. And the result was that hearts that were previously broken burned inside of them. Jesus was alive, which meant that he was making all of the sad things untrue. He was bringing sight to the blind. So friends, as we close, let's revisit our question. Can we see Jesus? Can we see Jesus being Jesus in our lives? Perhaps our vision is clouded by our grief, our loss, our fear, our own sin, or just the weariness that comes from living life this side of Eden. Or maybe we're actually just too busy to see Jesus. We move a thousand miles a minute, hardly, of anyone, hardly aware of anyone's needs besides our own. He's standing right there, but we don't even pause to look up from our nets. It could be that Jesus has disappointed us. He has not come through like we thought he would. The Jesus we imagined isn't meeting our expectations. We thought following him was supposed to look really different. We thought that he was meant to save us from suffering, not through it. But what these narratives show us is that Jesus is near. He is not far off, and he is willing to give us eyes to see. He is inviting us to know him for who he truly is, not as a Messiah that we create in our own image. He is, we do this through the powerful juxtaposition of word and sacrament, scripture and fellowship. If you want to see Jesus, immerse yourself in God's word. He is on every page and in every story. Meditate on it, and then be prepared to fill your heart ablaze. But this fellowship, this word without fellowship, becomes nothing more than an intellectual exercise. We need to sit at the table with Jesus. We need to share a meal with him to remember his sacrifice on our behalf. We need to spend time with Jesus. And listen, to spend time with Jesus necessarily means spending time with his body and bride, the church. If you want to see Jesus at work, you have to invest in the body of Christ. We need others to help us see sometimes, and it's deeper than just the fellowship we experience when we gather to worship on Sunday mornings. It's the spiritual lenses we need when we are given and receive the preaching of the word and when we participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper when we break the bread. But we also get glimpses of Jesus when we break bread and fellowship meals with one another. Our ability to see Jesus being Jesus in our lives is not simply an individual endeavor. It is a community endeavor as well. Luke begins his gospel with a couple, Mary and Joseph. They travel to Jerusalem for Passover with their son Jesus. And on the way out of Jerusalem, they realize that Jesus is not with them. So they search frantically for three days 
until eventually they find him in the temple and he's teaching the word. Luke closes his gospel account with another couple, three days after the Passover, desperately wanting to find Jesus too. And they find him not only teaching the word, but that he is the word. I don't think these bookends are an accident. It's almost as if the rest of Luke's account is a big banner squished between these two searching accounts, which say, look here, this is Jesus. This is where you can find him. Believe what I write about him and you will see. And when we truly see Jesus, we can hope again. When we truly see Jesus, we find purpose and meaning. Something new burns inside of us and we find joy. We find the things we have been looking for all our life. It is true that Jesus may seem hidden sometimes, and it often feels that when we need him the most, we can't find him. Or that when our storms are raging and we are drowning, it feels like he's asleep. But he is here, and he is near, and he is walking alongside you. He has left you with a helper, with glasses with which to properly see. And this is just the beginning of a journey that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of. A journey that will lead you farther up and farther in. Can we see Jesus? Pray with me. Lord, we just ask that you would give us eyes to see. Eyes to see Jesus for who he is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand for the doxology.